it was only him, his voice alone, calling out from the wilderness, calling people back to a matter which became lost. And that's so, that's so heavy uh, to me, to hear. Thank you for joining me again, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me here. It's good to see you. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. So, uh, today we wanted to talk about uh, the character of the Mahdi, uh, who he is, uh, what is written about his coming, uh, what it is exactly that he comes with, and one of the most important ways of how to identify uh, who the Mahdi is, and we're going to be doing several episodes about uh, Imam Mahdi, uh, or the Mahdi's, or the Mahdi, or the Qa'im, and we'll explain the differences. Um, but we want to start with that. We'll be doing several episodes about him and, and the events that take place during his time, uh, just as we did about the Antichrist. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, so in Islamic eschatology, um, there's a character uh, who's considered to be one of the greater signs of the hour. Okay, and so in the hadith with the Sunnis and in the hadith with uh, the hadith of the Shia, you have a time period that becomes really dark after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and the Muslims, uh, according to the narrations, go astray. Uh, there's uh, lots of bad things that are happening in the world. Uh, the signs the Prophet said to, to look out for is uh, widespread killing, sudden death, wars, rumors of wars, there's natural disasters. Um, and then uh, he says that the Quran is lifted. And nothing remains from the Quran except for its writing. And nothing remains from Islam except for its name. Uh, the Muslims claim to be followers of Islam, but they're the furthest thing from it. These are the words of the Prophet So we can see uh, from this narration uh, that the Prophet is describing a time where Muslims have, you know, even though Islam is present and there's people that are claiming to practice it, and even in one narration, uh, the Prophet was asked, uh, in those times, are we going to be few? And he said, no, you will be so many, but you will be like the scum of the sea. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, the other nations will be surrounding you um, and, and, and overpowering you. So, so um, we're obviously, it's a very bad time for Islam, even though there are a lot of people that are claiming to be Muslim. And it is in this time that there's a man who's sent forward um, in the Sunni narrations. His name is similar to the name of the Prophet or the, the, and the Prophet's father. Mm -hmm. So Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Muhammad the son of Abdullah, is the name of the, of the father, mm -hmm. uh, of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi and his father. And the Mahdi is supposed to come with a name that resembles that or is that so either the Mahdi comes with the same name of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa 
and his father's name would be Abdullah or it will be a similar name. Maybe it's Ahmed. Uh, and in some narrations, actually, it states that his name is Ahmed. Um, or uh, the name of the of the father might be the likeness of the name of the of the father of uh, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi So, uh, Prophet Muhammad, in one narration, he says, "I'm the son of the two slaughtered ones, uh, or the two slaughter offerings, which is uh, Abdullah and Ismail. Uh, Ismail meaning the Prophet Ismail, because both of them." Um, they were presented as an offering to God, uh, Abdullah by Abdul Muttalib and Ismail by Abraham. So maybe it's Muhammad son of Ismail, maybe it's Ahmed son of Ismail. But anyway, it's a combination of these of these words. And there's other names also that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu distinctly said uh, are names of him. He said, these are my names. Uh, one of them was that... Uh, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi said that I'm I am Abdullah. My name is Abdullah, and even it's very known in Islam that they say Ashhadun la ilaha illallah, Ashhadun Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. I bear witness that Muhammad is his is his servant and his messenger. And there's many hadiths uh, that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi says um, I am. One of my names is Israel, actually. And uh, Israel uh, means uh, the the servant of God. So he says in the narration, I am Israel, I am Abdullah. And another meaning for the name Isra- Israel uh, that he claims is one of his names is um, he says that the meaning of it is I'm the one who was taken by God. Right? Uh, like in the Isra al-Mi'raj. So Isra'il. He was taken up okay. on the night journey uh, by God. Okay. So, um, does the name of the Mahdi have to be Muhammad, son of Abdullah? Uh, this is a fallacy, and it's taking uh, the narration basically at its face value. Um, and so, most of the Sunnis are waiting for a Mahdi whose name is Muhammad, son of Abdullah. The Shia, they're, they're waiting for the return of the 12th Imam whom they believe went into hiding. And the 12th Imam is Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Askari And uh, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Askari he went into hiding basically after the Umayyads and the Abbasids uh, slaughtered every single one of the successors of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu uh, or poisoned them and imprisoned them uh, imam after imam after imam. And so the Muslim nation goes for a long period of time uh, being lost in the in the desert, like the Israelites were, um, without an imam, without a guide, and uh, breaking down into so many sects, which is also one of the prophecies that the Prophet Muhammad said would happen to them. He said you would be divided uh, just as the Christians and the Jews were divided into many sects before, as will you. And and so the Mahdi comes in the end times, uh, in the time where people are extremely lost um, and they don't they don't know anything. And the Prophet Muhammad said that the Mahdi will face a harsher time from the people 
than he himself faced. And the Ahl Bayt said that he would face harsher, a harder time than Rasulullah did. Why? Because when Rasulullah came with Islam, the people were worshipping sticks and stones. But in the time of the Mahdi, when he comes back with the true Islam, uh, which will be as if it's a whole new religion, um, because of how far people had went astray from the original message, and how how foreign the true form of Islam seems uh, to 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 what they're practicing today, um, everybody will use the Quran to interpret verses against him, and they will they will oppose the Mahdi. The Muslims will oppose him by using understandings or interpretations of the Quran to prove that he is false. Okay. Yeah. So. Now we have this character uh, who's appearing in a time of widespread ignorance. Um, and we know that the Muslims are all going to be, for the most part, against him uh, because he has no companions. And in the very beginning, he can barely get uh, 313 companions. And the narration state that if he only had 313 companions, um, then and 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 the, as his close companions and a wider circle of ten thousand, then he would rise. So, out of the almost two billion Muslims, over two billion Muslims now on the planet, um, not there's no there's not ten thousand three hundred and thirteen individuals that are on the right path or the right form of Islam. Wow. So it's a really big struggle uh, in the beginning. Yeah. And so the Mahdi faces the same challenges that the prophets and the messengers faced before. And, uh, and that is not being recognized uh, as what he is. Just in the same way that the Messiah was sent to the Jews, uh, the Mahdi is that messianic figure, but for Muslims. He's not the Messiah, but he's the guide. He's that promised uh, savior figure uh, that is to be sent to Muslims. Yeah, I, I, when you were speaking, I was seeing a lot of parallels, like you were saying that it will actually be the Muslims who will fight the Mahdi, and that was the case with Jesus. It was actually the, the, the Jewish scholars and the high priests that were the biggest opponents of Jesus, who was the Messiah, who they were claiming to be waiting for. Uh, so there was many parallels in, in that story. They, they also tried to argue uh, with the scriptures. They would bring the verses to Jesus and try and trick him and argue with him with the scriptures. And yeah, I just saw so many parallels between uh, what the Mahdi will face versus what the Messiah faced. And, and, you know, another parallel that takes place between what Jesus faced and what the Mahdi will face is what is prophesied in the narrations of the Ahl-Bayt uh, when they state that the Mahdi will not have a more evident enemy than the scholars, than the Muslim scholars, just in the same way that the, the, the most evident and, and prominent enemies of Jesus were the rabbis, mm -hmm. who were supposed to be the first people that pledge allegiance to him, and they were supposed to be the guardians of religion and the ones whom call people towards him, mm -hmm. um, they fought him, and in the same way, the people who are supposed to be the guardians of religion, the scholars of Islam, are actually the traitors, and they're the ones that fight the Mahdi. And so we have this plethora of extremely interesting narrations. 
that describe the scholars of Islam as traitors on the tongue of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi and the Ahl Bayt. Uh, they are described as being the most evil of creation. Uh, they are being mentioned as being more dangerous upon the Muslims than the army of Yazid, son of Muawiyah. Another narration describes them as being more dangerous upon the Muslims than the Dajjal Antichrist himself. Wow. Can you imagine that? People are still trusting them, though. They're putting all their trust in them. That's, yeah, I, but that's, that's why they're, they're more dangerous, because they're, they're leading to hellfire. And the narrations describe them as that. Imams that are calling towards the hellfire. Wow. Um, narrations describe that the first thing, one of the first things that the uh, that the Imam Mahdi does, one of the first basically group of people that he has to have physical altercations with, is the scholars of religion. Uh, that he ends up slaughtering tens of thousands of them. Uh, and he fights them because these are the people that are riling. Without these scholars, the normal mainstream mainstream Muslims would not be opposing Imam Mahdi. Well. So, I guess what we what we what we have to do, and 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 we can make f- other episodes about the signs that are that are in the time of the Mahdi, so that we can prove whether or not uh, for the viewer uh, we are living in the time of the Mahdi, but assuming that we are living in the time of the Mahdi, and assuming that we're expecting for the the Mahdi to appear, one of the things that we learn from these narrations is that the identity of the Mahdi will never be confirmed by any of the scholars of Islam. Following the opinion of the scholars of Islam or using them as a way to identify the person of the Mahdi is the single most biggest mistake because they are actually the enemies of the Mahdi. Well, I mean, I think for a lot of people, that's really a shocking thing to hear. Uh, I can understand why the scholars are probably not emphasizing these hadiths from the Prophet Muhammad that are warning the people against them because they have the power and, and they do not want to, to give that up. They do not want people to, to, to fear following them. So people are giving their allegiance to them. Um, but it's important for people to know that because otherwise they're, as you said, they're, they're being led into the fire. Exactly. The other enemy that the Mahdi has is pretty much um, all of the governments of the world. And, uh, and that's why in many narrations, and it's well known amongst Muslims, that the whole world gathers against the Mahdi. And so when you put that and you put the traditions about the scholars together, uh, I mean, it makes perfect sense because these scholars that are against the Mahdi, uh, they are the same scholars that are appointed by and approved by the states mm-hmm. in which they are preaching in. Uh, that form of Islam that the tyrant can uh, control, right? Yeah, it's also very, very uh, similar to how it was in the time of Jesus the Messiah, where the the scholars, the rabbis, they were they were quite friendly with the Roman authorities. There was not this this enemy uh, situation. So I just noticed that that's also yeah. the same. So the there seems to be a reason why. Um, the states don't want the Mahdi in their country 
or that they're even if he's not in their country why they're all gathering from all around the world to defeat him either he's saying something that's extremely offensive to them or he's posing a certain type of danger or um, they're worried about their own empires um, there seems to be something but what we do know is that the scholars and the states we can't trust them mm -hmm. because both of them both of them will be enemies of the imam so there's no such thing as the the supreme leader of iran for example um, you know he's just waiting around and then when the mahdi comes he hands over power of the iranian state uh, to the mahdi even though they've managed to deceive uh, the Iranian people um, and Shia all around the world by thinking that that is, uh, that is really what their intention is, and by proclaiming that that's what their intention is, uh, we have no narration, we have nothing that indicates that anything as such would even remotely happen uh, with the Mahdi. On the contrary, we have the, the opposite to that. Yeah. So, if we can't trust the scholars to identify the person of the Mahdi, and we can't trust the states, then obviously we can't trust the media that's controlled by the states. Yeah. Uh, so, the news is not going to come and say, hey, this is the Mahdi. The scholars are not going to say, so if I'm living in the time of the Mahdi, how do I know? Yeah, I mean, th that seems like a very confusing matter. Uh, how how would you know? Well, uh, Ahmed Hassan he said this beautiful line uh, that I love so much. He said, "Have you asked the family of Muhammad about the scholars of the end times before you ask the scholars of the end times about the family of Muhammad?" Oh wow. So essentially what he's saying is what is is people go back to the narrations go back to the traditions of the family of Muhammad see what the Ahl-Bayt have warned you about they've warned you about the scholars and pay attention then from the Ahl-Bayt what they say about how to find the Mahdi rather than depending on the scholars on how to find the Mahdi it's it's so logical. The character of the Mahdi, according to the scholars, um, he doesn't know who he is. And he remains apparently in a state of not knowing who he is, uh, confused the whole time. His companions, uh, they gather uh, to him magically. Uh, weaponry and everything that he needs manifests itself to him magically. Um, and there's no state of preparation. And yet we, we, we know that that is the opposite to every story that we've ever had in the Torah and in the Bible and in the Quran. Yeah. In the Quran, uh, we have and in the history of Muhammad Sallallahu the Prophet, he comes and he starts for 13 years giving secret da'wah, gathering supporters, gathering companions. The Mahdi's sunnah is supposed to be the same sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa 
after he manages to convert uh, people, uh, richer people start entering into the Dawah and they support financially the cause. Mm -hmm. uh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu enters into several battles with the uh, the disbelievers of Quraysh. He has a confrontation with the with the uh, priests of the Kaaba and the people that are worshiping the sticks and stones. So he has conflicts with the religious authority at that time. And also he has conflicts with the heads of the tribes, the political authority uh, at that time. We find Jesus, same thing. He's going around, he's giving Dawah first uh, to his disciples. Um, little by little, the disciples' circles grow until it goes from 12 to him sending 72 disciples uh, before him to any city to preach his name mm -hmm. and to pave the path for him. Um, he ends up massing uh, a lot of supporters before he loses it. He has conflicts with the rabbis, with the religious authority, and he has conflicts with the uh, state, with Pontius Pilate and mm -hmm. the Roman occupation that's taking place. Yes. Moses, same thing. He has to gather support. He has to convince the Israelites. The Israelites eventually, uh, they believe in him. And it is Moses and Aaron that have to go have confrontations with the Pharaoh. religious authority and also with Pharaoh himself and Haman, right? Yeah. And you have Abraham the exact same thing taking place. He's confronting his uncle. He's confronting the the idol worshippers. He's breaking the idols. Yes. He's putting the axe in the hand of the big idol. Yeah. He's having confrontations with Nimrod, yeah. which leads to him being thrown into the fire. So the Mahdi, the same thing has to take place. He has to have confrontations with the religious authority. He has to have confrontation with political authority. Uh, you can't trust those two to tell you that he's from God at all because they will never say that. And uh, he has to have a period of giving da'wah. So if we're living in the time of the Mahdi and we can't trust any of the scholars or the authority figures uh, to tell us that he's the Mahdi and we know that the Mahdi is going to be giving da'wah and maybe there's other people that are giving da'wah we don't know, we don't want to follow an antichrist or a false claimant because yes. we know that if we do follow a false claimant uh, and we die upon that, then we're going to go to hellfire, right? Yes. So how did the Prophet Muhammad and his family tell us to identify the Mahdi? How were the people able to identify the previous prophets and messengers from God? They, they named the person who had come after them, and it was actually quite clear. And, and we have examples all throughout the scriptures of people uh, appointing the next person, and also people claiming a will of somebody who, who had left uh, their name or description previously. So somebody who was appointed by God vouches for the person who comes next. And that's how it always was. So it would stand to reason that that's how it would continue to be in the time of Mahdi. Yes, absolutely. So, so we would expect that, that in order for the people to take seriously a claim of Mahdihood, that the Mahdi would have to clearly present proof, proof that he was, in fact, the Mahdi. Yeah. That he was, in fact, appointed by God. Mm -hmm. We can't just go off of feelings. 
the Quran says, and if you follow most of the people, they would lead you astray. Mm-hmm. So how can we um, expect with the differences of opinion that the matter would be so vague that we would just have to sense uh, who is the Mahdi and, and go for it. Most of the sensations and the ideas and the feelings of the people are false ones. And that's why Islam in the time of the Mahdi is, is in such a state that Islam is lost altogether. So the Mahdi would have to, would have to say um, and present a proof. So let's look at the previous prophets and messengers. What happened? Uh, Muhammad sallallahu when he came to the people, uh, he says very clearly, and it's also in the Quran, and it was in the Hadith, he identifies himself. He says, I'm the prophet who was mentioned in the Torah and in the Gospels, and if you don't believe me, then ask the people of remembrance, or mm-hmm. ask those who have the book, right? Yes. Or ask the people of the book. Yes. So he claims that he's mentioned there. Yes. And... There's also another verse that Muslims always use um, to prove that the Prophet Muhammad was appointed, actually, by Jesus Christ, and that his person is the same person as the Comforter or the Paraclete that's 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 uh, promised by Jesus in the verse where he says. And giving glad tidings of a messenger who's to come after me, whose name is Ahmed. Mm-hmm. And so they say, Jesus appointed Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the Muslims would, or the people that would potentially be Muslims, would go back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they would look up the verses of the Bible and they would find that that actually Jesus did say that if I don't go to my father, then I can't send to you the comforter. Yes, he did. And he's talking about this character who would come, who would only speak the words of God. And remind you of everything that I've taught you. And remind you of everything that I've taught you and lead you to the truth. Yeah. Um, and so they would be forced to. They would say, wow, Jesus promised us that somebody would come. Yes. And nobody else claimed to be that person. Yeah. But yet, Muhammad came. Yes. And he's claiming to be, to be the person. So that claim in itself is a verification of the identity of the claimant. Yes. Because the promise to send somebody, if everybody could claim it, uh, would be would be pointless. Yeah, it has to be protected. It has to be protected. Yeah. Okay, so so then what happens? So Jesus, when he came, he kind of did the same thing, didn't he? Very very similar. Yeah. What happened? He went into the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he took the scroll of Isaiah, which was known to be describing the Messiah, and then he read it, and then he said, "Today this is fulfilled uh, in front of you." And then he rolled up the scroll, and this was this was him claiming to be oh, that's amazing. this Messiah that was spoken about on the tongue of Prophet Isaiah. So Jesus, he goes forward. He doesn't just claim, "Hey, I'm the Messiah, and that's it." But no. he actually has to have a letter of appointment. Yeah. And the letter of appointment comes in the form of quoting 
scripture that is already in the hands of the people. Yes, exactly. So nobody could argue on it. Yeah. It's not like he's coming up with some random letter that nobody's seen before uh, that's handwritten that he got from who knows where that says on there, I, Muhammad, am prophesizing that this individual is the Mahdi. No, he's, he's quoting and using as a proof the scripture that's between the hands of the people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the same thing happened with Moses. People were already waiting for that messianic savior figure. Um, Moses comes and he claims to be um, that messianic figure and he uses their scripture as a proof. Mm-hmm. And that's the sunnah that we see from every prophet and messenger before. And we have plenty of narrations, uh, which I've detailed in the Goal of the Wise, which talk about how uh, from the time of Adam onwards, each successor or each messenger would appoint the messenger that would come after him in order that it be clear. And they would write it down and uh, the people would celebrate actually uh, the appointment of the successor. Okay. So the Mahdi has to be appointed by somebody. And he has to be appointed by he who came before him. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he has to be mentioned by the Imams of the Ahlul Bayt or in the will specifically of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Yes. And so we have a will of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi And uh, the will is the only will that exists in the books of the Muslims that the Prophet details his wishes on his deathbed. Uh, it's amazing that that this exists, and actually that more people don't know about it. But there is such there is a will of Prophet Muhammad. There is a will of the Prophet mm-hmm. Muhammad And so, um, in the will of the Prophet Muhammad, he details in there his successors, one by one, and he says on his deathbed that after me there'll be twelve imams. And after the 12 Imams, there'll be 12 Mahdis. Mm. And he mentions the names of the 12 Imams one by one. He says the first of them will be Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib And then he says, if death comes to him, then he needs to pass it to his son, Imam al-Hassan. And if death comes to him, he should pass it to his brother, Imam al-Hussein, the martyr. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Imam Ali Zayn al-Abidin or Ali Sajjad. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Muhammad al-Bakr. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Jafar al-Sadiq. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Musa Qasim. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Ali Rida. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Muhammad al-Jawad. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Ali al-Hadi. If death comes to him, he should pass it to his son, Al-Hassan al-Askari. If death comes to him, he should pass it to the safeguarded from the family of Muhammad, and that is Muhammad al-Mahdi, the 12th Imam. Yes. And then it says, and those are 12 Imams. And then it mentions the names of the first three Mahdis. And it says, and when death approaches him, he should pass it to his son. He has three names. And he says, Abdullah, Ahmad, and the third name is Al-Mahdi. 
And so we have a clear appointment by the Prophet Muhammad on his deathbed, in his will, which survives till this day, and it is in the books of the Muslims. But, I mean, that's that's mind-blowing and a proof in and of itself of how these scriptures are divinely protected for the correct claimant, because throughout all these centuries, nobody has claimed this will, and no. only the correct person came forward so many years later after it was there for anybody to see. I, I just, I, I think that's really amazing. It is, it's fascinating. <laughs> And so, um, the Prophet, he outlines his successors, he clearly chooses who's going to be um, in charge of the most valuable thing, who are the inheritors of the, of the most valuable thing which he has, uh, who are the inheritors of his message, who are the guardians of his religion, who are the successors to lead his nation. After him, he mentions them out, and they are 12 Imams and then 12 Mahdi's, and he mentions the names of the 12 and the first name of the, uh, the first names of the three Mahdi's uh, that come after that. And nobody, the narration state, can claim the will and not be the companion of the will except that God cuts off their life. Oh. Okay? okay, so there's many people. The idea is that many people can come and claim to be the Mahdi, yeah. but nobody can come and claim to be mentioned, come with a letter of appointment where their name is mentioned. Many people can claim to be prophets. Many people can claim to be Jesus, and they, they're all false. Yeah. And the way that you can identify the true claimant is because one, one of the ways you can identify is that he will always come with a letter of appointment. He doesn't come just blank. Yeah. There's nobody who's appointed by the king, and he goes to a nation and says, hey, I'm the king's successor, uh, or your father, if he has some land, and you're sitting on the land, or there's some workers on the land, if he wants to send somebody... Um, to take control of the land, in his absence, he would have to send a letter that has his steel, his stamp on there, uh, a letter that outlines that I so-and-so have appointed this person to take control of the land. So this claiming of the name is like going forward with a letter of appointment, and nobody can claim it except for its companion. And... That's why it's, it's, it's extremely interesting because also history does not have any incidents where any of the, there was no, there was people that claimed to be imams when they weren't appointed yes. by an imam. But there was nobody from these false claimants that said that their name was in the will of the Prophet Muhammad except for those imams that came with the will. Okay. So there was no, there was people in the time of, of, for example, Jafar al-Sadiq or Musa Qasim that claimed to be, to be an imam. Uh, the brother of al-Hassan al-Askari, Jafar the liar, he claimed to be an imam. Okay. Uh, but he didn't say that his name was mentioned in the will. Okay. It was only al-Hassan al-Askari who said, hey, my name is al-Hassan and I'm the 11th imam and my name is mentioned in the will. Okay, so that's how the divine protection works. That's how the divine protection works. Uh, people came and they claimed to be prophets in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa 
you have Musaylimah, the liar. Uh, but he never claimed to be foretold or mentioned on the tongue of Jesus. Yeah. Only Muhammad did. And so Muhammad claiming to be mentioned on the tongue of Jesus served as, as one of the markers that we could tell that, okay, this guy is telling the truth. It, it's so amazing, like uh, 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 how Prophet Muhammad claimed to be the one mentioned on the tongue of Jesus uh, is again such an amazing, uh, an amazing thing because nobody had claimed, nobody had brought forth the scripture and said this is talking about me except for Muhammad. And as we can see, Muhammad is, was the truth and he was the one guiding to the truth. And yeah, it's so cool to see that this is actually God's way of telling people. Uh, you know, who to follow, and that God didn't leave people to, to be misguided. No, of course He didn't. And it would be a shame if somebody called themselves Muslim and believed even not just that God would leave them to be misguided, or that the Prophet Muhammad would pass, and he's supposed to be the brightest of all human beings, and the best of creation, and the best of, of leaders, and the closest of all creatures to God. And that he would foolishly, God forbid, leave his nation in a state of chaos, warring over who would be the successor. They tend to make the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu the Sunnis do, uh, less intelligent and less caring over, over his nation than uh, Abu Bakr or Omar or uh, the, the, uh, the companions of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu so Abu Bakr, he takes by force the caliphate uh, from its rightful heir, which is Imam Ali. He usurps the caliphate and he forces himself to be the caliph. And what we find is that before, right on his deathbed, he appoints his successor. He does not die. Abu Bakr does not die until he appoints Omar as his successor. Mm -hmm. Omar doesn't die until he appoints a council of some of the companions, the former companions of the Prophet, to choose from amongst them a leader to succeed Omar. Okay. He implements a system and chooses the people who will vote, essentially, on the leader after them, after him, mm -hmm. so that the Muslim nation is not left in chaos. Yeah. But yet they believe that the Prophet Muhammad did not do such. Uh, but yet what we find in the narrations is that the Prophet Muhammad safeguarded the destiny of the Islamic nation from the time of his passing all the way until the end time, going into the time of the Mahdi's that these are the successors, and you can only take these guys as uh, rulers, leaders, um, guides after me. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so clear. It's so clear. So is this the only identifying factor or marker, uh, the will? Uh, we, we look into the narrations and we find that, no, it's not the only way that we can identify uh, who the Mahdi is. Uh, there's a, another way of identifying uh, the Mahdi, which is extremely important, and that is the, the banner of the Mahdi. The narrations of the Ahl al-Bayt, when they're, when, they're, when they're talking about how can you know who the Mahdi is, 
they say that he's the companion of a banner. In many traditions, it says it's a black banner. Uh, and in the traditions, it says that this banner is written in it something extremely important. The banner is written in it, Al-Bay'ah Lillah. That would also become a pointless prophecy if there would be so many people that would be raising banners that is written in it, Al-Bay'ah Lillah. It would not be an identifying marker yeah. if many people could raise a banner like that. Yeah. So only the Mahdi can raise a banner like that, or at least the Mahdi has to be the first one who raises a banner like that. Yeah. And I think it's incredible because in the past 1400 years, uh, since the time of the Prophet and until today, nobody has come forward and claimed to be the Mahdi in the will of the Prophet Muhammad before Ahmad al-Hassan. Yeah. And before the companions of the Black Banners of the East Dao, before the Ahmadi religion of peace and light, nobody's claimed to be in there except for Ahmad al-Hassan and for Abdullah. We also find that nobody over these past 1400 years have raised a banner that's written in it, Al-Bay'ah Lillah, except for the same two individuals whom claimed that their names were mentioned in the will, and that is Ahmad and Abdullah. That's just, I mean, amazing, because... As you said, these hadiths, they've been around, you know, people have heard them, and yet they were protected, and nobody did it except for the people who claimed the will of Prophet Muhammad. And so, what does al-bayah mean, and why is it so important, and why is it so controversial that, that some of the hadiths state that the Mahdi's banner will be cursed by everybody in the East and everybody in the West? Well, when we look at what it says, it actually, the translation of Al-Bayallah is allegiance is to God. You can only pledge allegiance to God. Yeah. And so that statement in it and of itself nullifies every single pledge of allegiance that anybody has ever made to a flag, to a nation, to a state, to a king, to a, a, an idea, uh, all of that the banner and the dawah and the Mahdi, he's coming to state that all of that is false. All of those pledges of allegiance to anything other than God are pledges of allegiance to the devil and pledges of allegiance that will lead to hellfire. So the Mahdi comes with this idea that only God has the right to appoint the ruler. And this is a very sensitive topic because it means that democracy is false. It means that communism is false. It means that any monarchy on the face of the planet is false. It means that every political system whereby human beings appoint 
a ruler is false. That it's only God who, who gets to have people pledge allegiance to him, and it's only God who gets to be king. Yeah. Right? It's revolutionary. Right? It is. But when we, it's, it's shocking to me because when we actually, it's like, it's almost like people always had it right in front of their eyes. Uh, but they never paid attention to it. Yeah, I, I think that that's what, what I'm marveling at because it, it is so hidden in plain sight. I guess there's it is. there's no other way to put it. So when we look at the Torah and the Gospels, and then we look at the Quran and the, the biography of Muhammad sallallahu we find that actually that's exactly what they all came with. Even though they didn't all necessarily raise a physical banner that's written in it, allegiances to God, that is what they all came with. Yeah, it is. It's undeniable. That Muhammad sallallahu he came forward and he, <coughs> he became the leader and proclaimed himself as the leader by divine appointment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What about Jesus? Did he come... Um, did he come and was supposed to run in elections or did he come and and it was supposed to be the job of the rabbis to elect him into office or what did he come for tiffany i mean he came to to rule as as a king that was the understanding that he would he would create a kingdom of god and he would be the king that he would he would rule you know a state where allegiance is to god um, yeah, that was the, the under, that's actually what the, the Jewish people are still waiting for because they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that he didn't fulfill that. Uh, so they're still waiting for someone to come and to, to rule as the king in, in God's kingdom. That's and so the Quran said, and we did not send a, a messenger, a single messenger, except that they should be obeyed. And so... Every single prophet and messenger that was ever sent was actually a divinely appointed caliph, a divinely appointed king or leader that the people had to follow. And we find, and we've spoken about this before, that God becomes extremely offended when anybody even attempts to remotely um, interfere with his political system that he has in place yes. and there's the story of Saul and the uh, Samuel and the appointment of Saul when the Israelites go to to prophet Samuel and they say hey we want you to appoint we want God to appoint a king for us it's it's double it's equally it's it's double interesting because one the Israelites uh, they offend God simply by this request to ask for a king like the other nations have, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but they didn't even dare appoint a king for themselves. They had to go back to the prophet who was appointed by God to ask that God be the one who chooses for them who that king should be. Yes, it's true. Yeah. So Muhammad sallallahu he comes as a ruler, as a king. Jesus comes as a Messiah, as a king who's to establish a state. Uh, Moses, he's the head of state and the king of the Israelites and is ruling them in all aspects of society. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you have uh, you have every prophet and messenger that's intending uh, you know it was meant that 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 they be that they be obeyed and so it becomes this war between the supremacy of god right mm-hmm. and the supremacy of the people yeah. uh, on one hand you have this one political system and political leaders that are appointed by god on the supremacy of god right mm-hmm. and 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 that's the the same line of the Torah and the Bible, the Gospels and the Quran, and you have the supremacy of man. And that is all of the different political systems that have emerged over history, whereby the people choose who their leader is. And the people choosing who their leader is doesn't necessarily just mean democracy through elections. Um, You know, when a family conquers an area and appoints itself as a monarchy, and uh, they appoint their firstborn male. This is also a human appointment. This is a man-made appointment. Um, when there's a military coup and they're ruling, it's a man-made appointment. Uh, so any leader that's chosen by man that comes without a letter of divine appointment from God uh, is 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 really it's an antichrist system. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, as we've discovered in some of our previous uh, discussions, it, it, it absolutely is, and the world is actually so backwards and not, you know, pointing that out, or especially religion. Religion is quite backwards and not pointing that out and not, you know, uh, making it clear that God never intended for the rule of man. So we have now... Uh, two criteria whereby a person can identify the Mahdi from the narrations of the Ahlul Bayt One of the other criteria that's mentioned is that knowledge. You'll be extremely knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. The character of the Mahdi will be more knowledgeable than the Jews are in regards to the Torah. He'll be more knowledgeable than the Christians are in regards to their Bible. He'll be more knowledgeable than the Muslims are in regards to their Quran. Mm. But it doesn't mean that he will be so knowledgeable uh, and they will accept that knowledge or that interpretation because actually uh, what we find is that none of the scholars do. He has to end up fighting them and, and killing them, especially the Muslim ones, in order that, that, that they submit. But uh, he's never asked about anything between the 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 uh, books except that he answers, and we find that also he manages in his divine just state to rule the Jews by their book and to rule the Christians by their book and to rule the Quran, the people of the Quran, the Muslims by their book, and everybody accepts that. Um, and so it's. These criteria are the main ones that formulate a law, which is known as the law of knowing the Hajjah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have Ahmed Hassan who came, he appeared, and he claimed to be Ahmed in the apparent will of the Prophet Muhammad Yes. And the hadith literally state, state that you'll know the Mahdi 
by the apparent will or the will that's in the hands of the people. It's so clear. So you have Ahmed Hassan he's claiming that. And you have Ahmed Hassan raising a banner uh, for the first time that's never been raised before that's written in allegiances to God. And you have Ahmed Hassan who is bringing these evident things that were always there out into the eyes of the public and and demonstrating knowledge that's never been heard before in his book of monotheism and in the book of the calf and other of his books and in his teachings and also in the goal of the wise which details a lot of the the knowledge of Ahmed Hassan and Ahmed Hassan he came out and he spoke saying in his speech I am more knowledgeable than the people of the Torah in regards to their Torah. I'm more knowledgeable than the people of the Bible in regards to their Bible. And I'm more knowledgeable than the people of the Quran in regards to their Quran. So he fulfills without a shadow of a doubt all three criteria which makes makes it impossible. These things can never gather in one person and he'd be a liar. Yeah, I mean, why would God allow that? Like, it would it would be like God was leaving so much evidence to believe in a person. And, and I, I mean, I can't fathom a God that would allow such and, a thing. And how can you? How can you? Also, how can you also explain the fact that that God in the in the in the Quran He says, "I'm the one who makes who is who appoints the caliph." And he's the one who was offended by the Israelites when they chose their own leader. He said they rejected me as king. He's the one who's insisting to always be the one who appoints. He rejects the rabbis. He rejects uh, the Romans. He's the one who sends Jesus. He's the one who's appointing. He's, He's insisting that he knows best. Yeah. Even when the angels objected and they said, ah, oh, we think you could do something else better than these human beings that are going to be uh, killing. Uh, God says, verily, I know what you don't know. Yeah. So God knowing what people don't know makes him the only person who's qualified to choose a leader. And the fact that he has created mankind makes him the only legitimate uh, being who can and has the right to dictate to creation, what it is that they can and cannot do, the laws, and he's the one who can appoint the leader. And uh, this is the belief, this is the the, the, the single most important belief uh, for any Jew, any Christian, any Muslim, that only God appoints the leader. And it is only on the face of the earth, It's only, it was only Ahmed al-Hassan salam who was standing single by himself, saying that only God has the right to appoint a leader, whereby all of the scholars of of Judaism, all of the scholars of Christianity, all of the scholars of Islam were calling towards elections, or they were approving of the elections, and uh, it was only him, his voice alone, calling out from the wilderness, calling people back to a matter which became lost. Wow, that's so that's so heavy uh, to me to hear that there was just one voice calling people to God in a sea of many voices claiming to you know trying to speak in God's name falsely. 
Okay, so I think we'll we'll stop right there for now, Tiffany. Okay. Um, we've gone over now uh, the basics of the of who the Mahdi is. Um, he comes basically to fill the wor- world up with justice. He's appointed by God. Um, we talked about his enemies being the scholars and being the states of the world. Um, his only supporters are true believers, uh, people that believe in the supremacy of God and only take God as their king. Uh, they don't pledge allegiance to any tyrant. Uh, we talked about the ways that the Ahl Bayt said are the only ways that we can identify uh, the Mahdi, uh, the main ways, and that is through um, basically his knowledge, through him coming with a letter of appointment, the will, mm-hmm. and through him raising a banner called Al-Bayadillah. Yeah. And that's where we'll stop for now. We have a lot more that we want to talk about in terms of the Mahdi, but we'll leave that for the future episodes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to continue.